now Psalms is our theme um, for uh, today. Now, here's the thing. Um, this is an appropriate time to take a week to talk about this book because it tells us a lot about David. We were studying King David's life, David's life for about 12 weeks and all of his adventures. And so as we get ready to transition past David, Psalms is largely here in our scriptures today because of David. So let me talk about what the book of Psalms is. And my goal today is basically to help you, maybe it's new to you, to know, you know, these books of the Bible. We've tried at the beginning of the year and at different points to remind you this book should not be intimidating. It's a collection, of, it's two collections of books, the Hebrew scriptures or Old Testament, the Christian scriptures or New Testament compiled together. And we've tried to help you see the individual story threads along the way. But Psalms, I want you to know if you don't know anything about it, it's a song book. That's what it is. It's a collection of songs written for the worship of God. And so I want you to understand that today, whether it's your first time being familiarized with Psalms or whether it's a refresher, maybe get a fresh eyes on what this book of Psalms is all about. So again, Psalms is a collection of songs, many of which were written by David. So in the book of Psalms, there are 150 different songs. That's a lot of music right there. 150 songs. Um, we call them chapters. Each one, cha song's a chapter. There's 150 chapters or songs in the book of Psalms. And of them, at least 73 of them were written by David. And then, I say at least 73 because there's a few whose authorship is debatable. At least 73 written by David, and the rest were written by a contemporary of David, a man named Asaph, or a group of people known as the sons of Asaph, so a collaboration there. So uh, this is what the book of Psalms is, a book of, of music. Now, um, David, I want you to think of David as a person who is multi-talented in music. So I don't know how much music you like today. I, I love a wide variety of genres of music. Um, there's hardly a genre of music I can't find some appreciation for. And I like music, and so, so do many of you. And when we listen to music, there's people that stand out for different reasons. Some people stand out because they have an amazing singing voice. Like, they can sing anything. They can sing, you know, you know they, can, they can just, when they sing, you listen. You want that on your playlist, it just sounds good. Then there are people who, they play an instrument really, really well, you know, and they could be in any band anywhere because they're so, they're so good. And then there are the people who, who write the songs, right? They write songs and maybe they're behind the scenes, but their songs are so good they become hits. They become classics, uh, perhaps are done by artists over the years again and again. And so when you have a, a muse, an artist who can do more than one of these things, like perhaps they're not only an amazing singer, but they also play an instrument really well, well, that's really cool, right? Like, wow, that person can sing and they can play an instrument really well. And then, or maybe um, they are somebody who um, can, can play an instrument and they write, or they sing and they write. So to, d to have two of these skills and be good at two of these things is amazing. But to do good at all three, well, that's really a special gifted person, right? We all know people in our, our generation who are great singers and songwriters. And then, oftentimes, the great singer-songwriters, they also collaborate, right? So, I mean, many of you, I, I've watched several documentaries of different artists like 
different genres, Keith Urban, um, Ed Sheeran, Taylor Swift, uh, who, who not only are singers and songwriters, but also will collaborate with other people and, and make a, an album because they want creativity. So that's what David is doing. David is, is both a master instrumentalist. He can play the harp like nobody's business. Like he's such a good harp player that King Saul called young David to his courtroom to play for him when he was having mental health issues and when he was um, struggling with depression. So David was great on the instruments, but also a songwriter. And then later on, he writes some collaboration. He hires Asaph and this group called the Sons of Asaph to write his music with him. And uh, if you read the book of uh, Psalms, chapters 120 through 134, those 15 chapters are called Songs of Ascent. They deal with people who are coming to Jerusalem where the temple was, the tabernacle, to worship God. And they would learn these Songs of Ascent. It was a collaborative effort in music by these different people. And so I want you to just know what this book is. It's a book of music. And here's the thing. We don't have the original tunes. Like, I don't know what, how the songs, when we talk about our favorite song in the book of Psalms, we don't have the original tunes. I don't know what they were sounded like. You know, like, so, you know, all we have is the lyrical content because the music has been lost over the centuries. And that's probably a good thing, right? Because let's be honest, music changes styles, and styles come and go, and if you get too married to a style, you get some really weird ideas and doctrine about music. Anyhow, so um, style changes, and, and so we don't know what the original tunes were back in those days, but we do know that this is a book of songs that we have the lyrics to 3,000 years later still. So what I want to do for part of our time today, for much of our time today, is I want to read through some of these songs, just the lyrics, I don't know the tunes, and I want to kind of look at some of the greatest hits. Now, when I was growing up, people who were great artists had maybe a greatest hits album. There were many singers in history who are one-hit wonders, right? And that's not an insult. I would love to have a hit that made me so famous I was a one-hit wonder. That would be phenomenal. But there's one-hit wonders, and then there are people who make several good albums, some so successfully that they have to decide to take a bunch of their songs and put it into a greatest hits album, which is just another way of selling the same songs that you already own anyhow, but in one album, I guess. And now that we have you know, Spotify and Apple Music and iTunes and uh, Amazon Music and YouTube Music, you can make your own playlist. But those, those greatest hits albums... Growing up, whenever I bought a Greatest Hits album from one of my favorite singers or artists or bands, I usually disagreed with the collection. Maybe some of you can relate to this. Like, I get the Greatest Hits album, and I'm like, oh, no. You left off some of the best songs. Like, I like this song should have totally made this album, and you didn't even include it. I disagree. But guess what? I didn't make the album. If I would have made the album, someone else would have disagreed with my list. So, because we all have favorite deep cuts and so on and so forth. So as we read through the Psalms and we look at the lyrics without knowing if the songs were the best musically, because that's gone, but looking at the lyrics, I want to point out some of the greatest hits. And for those of you who nerd out and you love the book of Psalms and you've read it so many times, you might sit here today and say, you missed one that I like even more. And that's okay. Because if you give the speech next time, you can talk about the one you like. But I'm just going to bring a few of my favorites out to you and so we can talk about what's in them. And what I want you to understand is that as we read a few of these psalms, these songs are all over the place. So I want, I'm just setting this up before I read, and then we'll read and go home in a while. But, but just let me set this up. 
Some of these songs are written to God. They're songs that are sung to God. Like, hey God, you're awesome, you're great, or whatever. And then some of these songs are written about God to others. Or not even about God, they're just written to others about living and how to live and how to live a life of faith or trust or what, what, you know, how to you know, be wise. And so these songs are written either about faith or life or God or they're written to God. Like many of our worship songs, sometimes we sing songs where we're singing directly to God and sometimes we're singing about God. And sometimes we're teaching truths through music. And, you know, so that's what Psalms does as well. Not only that, but these songs in the book of Psalms, some of these things are happy, like, God, you're great. And some of them are kind of messed up. Like some of them are utter griping, like complaining, like, it's terrible, no one cares about me. Or even venting about the people that they don't like. Or, or I mean, it's, it's, like, it's all over the place. So I'm, I'm gonna, we're not going to read all of that today. Some of that stuff we won't see today. Uh, I could have read a lot of these imprecatory psalms today where it's like, David's like, you know, may the fleas of a thousand camels infest your armpits, you know, or something like that, where he's just like pronouncing curses upon somebody or something, I don't know. But we're going to like skip some of those, and, um, but we will, we will see a couple of them. But I want you to see some of these greatest hits, even though they're all over the place. Now, as I get ready to start, one more thing I want to say. We're going to skip a few of the clear greatest hits, so don't freak out, because we've already covered them. If you've been with us for the past few months, you know that we already read some of these psalms together. For example, we read Psalms 23. By the way, you should know this about David. David wrote some of these songs when he was a young shepherd. Like the shepherd's psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. David wrote that one probably when he was a young man as a shepherd for his father. Some of the early psalms. He wrote other psalms while he was running for his life as a fugitive. Like Psalms 27, I would have fainted if I, but I believed I'd see God's goodness in my life. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, he shall strengthen your heart. I mean, you know, he wrote some psalms as king of just the tribe of Judah while the nation was divided in civil war. He wrote other psalms as he became king of the whole nation. And then again, he hired writers to help him write more and record them in this songbook we've preserved today for 3,000 years. Now, as we look at some of these songs, we'll skip Psalms 23, the shepherd's psalm. We'll skip Psalms 27. And we'll skip Psalms 51. Psalms 51 belongs on the list, but we saw it a few weeks ago when David committed sin against God, against Bathsheba, and against Uriah, and he wrote a song of confession and repentance about it. We won't look at those three hits today, but let's look at some others together. The first one we're going to see is Psalms chapter 1, and I've included it because it's the first psalm. It's the first song in the songbook. And I'm also very sentimental towards it because when I was growing up, I memorized a lot of these psalms in a different translation, English translation, but I memorized them. And as I look back in my youth, and they're sentimental. I wonder how many of you can, can, can tell this story. You have a certain song or a certain album, perhaps, of music that at a certain time of the year, that song or that music is sentimental. Like, I love that in the fall. Or I love that song in the spring. Um, it just brings you back to a certain spot in your life or a certain memory in your life, right? So Psalms chapter 1, the lyrics of this song bring me back to my childhood and outdoors and nature, and it just is sentimental whenever I hear it. And so let's read, and by the way, it's not a song to God. It's a song to others about how we live in this world. Let's read that together. Psalms 1 verse 1 says, Oh, the joys 
of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. And what he's, the song is saying is simply this. It's not complicated. It's saying, live in such a way that the later you will be grateful. That, that you'll do the things that bring blessing and joy, and not the things that bring harm by running in a, in a path or with the people or, or in a path that will bring you harm. But instead, do the things that will make you fruitful, that will make your life bear fruit and flourish. And poetically, what it's saying is get to the spot where later on you can say, I'm glad I did rather than I wish I had, because in life things catch up to us. Beautiful psalm. Um, the next psalm we're going to read is Psalms chapter 8. And this is a song written to God. It's a song sung to God. And in it, I love it because it talks about God's amazing creation. And it reminds me when I was a teenager of the very first time that I ever remember that I prayed of my own accord. In other words, no one was encouraging me as my parents or someone encouraged me to pray and trust Jesus or do this. But as a teenager, we were on a vacation um, at my Lake Michigan, uh, in northern Michigan, staying in a cabin. And we'd walk over to the, to the beach and um, the water and, and swim during the day. And one night we're watching the sun go down over Lake Michigan and, and the sky is beautiful. Another night a storm was rolling in, but the water was always vast like an ocean, but it's not an ocean, you know. And we're, we're there. And I remember just being compelled just to start talking to God and say, God, look at all that you've done. It's amazing. Your creation is so amazing. And it overwhelms me. Okay, we're going to sing a song at the end of our service today. Before, right before we go home, our last song is going to be Overwhelmed. I see the work of your hands, galaxies spin in a heavenly dance. Oh God, all that you've done is so overwhelming. That's Psalms 8. I want you to read it with me and see it with me as I read it. Psalms 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. And what David says here is, God, I mean, when I think of how powerful you are as to make everything, I wonder how you can be so personal as to care for me, and yet you do. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Um, Psalms 19 starts out the same way of Psalms 8 about talking about God's creation and his handiwork, but it doesn't sing to God, it sings about God. It sings about God and his goodness. In Psalms 19, after beginning with, you know, how the heavens declare his handiwork, it pivots halfway through and begins to talk about not just God's creation, but God's word. 
I pick up the story in Psalms 19 and verse 7. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. And then I love verse 10. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. And then after David spends this chapter talking about God's creation and then about God's word, he actually pivots his tone in the very last part of the chapter and stops talking about God and, and finishes the, the song by talking to God. Instead of saying, God, I appreciate how precious your word is to me, he says, God, I hope that my words are precious to you. And he closes the chapter in verse 14 by saying, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Beautiful, beautiful psalm. Um, we can go on and on. Again, we've, we're skipping so many good ones. I love Psalms 37. Psalms 37 is written not to God, but about God. And it's written to people who are struggling with the unfair things of life. When you read Psalms 37, you can see that David is talking to people who've watched bad people get away with it. How, how many of you have ever seen somebody in your life that was a terrible person and they seem to be on top of everything? They, they're rich or they're they're getting promoted at their job or they're popular. They're prospering, but they're not good. They're not good people. And then maybe at the same time, you see good people, maybe yourself or others, who are suffering and struggling and not doing well. And it doesn't seem fair. Like, why do the good people struggle? And why do bad people sometimes seem to prosper? And David writes Psalms 37 to say, hey, don't be short-sighted. Yes, that might be how it is today, but look beyond the current circumstances and take the long look. Because in the long run, in the big picture, things work out. And time will validate what's right and, and time will catch up to what's wrong and God is just. It's a beautiful, very long psalm. We can't read it all. But just the first few verses talk about this. In Psalms 37 verse 1, it says, Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass... They soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and, and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. And David says just, it's not over yet. Don't freak out because things aren't going the right way for the right people and they're going okay for the wrong people. Take the long look. God will be faithful. You just stay on the right track. It's good stuff. It's a good chapter. We can read the whole thing, but we don't have time. Um, I'm going to actually skip way down to the end. There's so many good ones. Psalm 78, Psalms uh, 106, 107, 108. Uh, Carly read a great one a couple weeks ago. Psalms 128, beautiful psalm. Uh, 127 is also great. Um, 
Psalms 150. I could just go on and on about all the great songs in here. I should let you know, in case you care, some of you won't, but some of you might, the longest song in the book of Psalms. Does anybody know the longest song in the book of Psalms? Anyone want to guess what that is? Psalms 119. It's got 176 verses to it. Did you say that too? 176 verses. What's that? You whispered it, yeah. Um, I have not memorized it. I don't want to uh, go through that one. If you're going to memorize one, two chapters before that is Psalms 117. That's the shortest song, two verses long. So, but uh, in the middle, there's a good one, Psalms 118. Anyhow, all these great musical pieces that I don't know the music, but the words sure are great. I'm going to finish later with a very short one that's going to help us land the plane. But I want to go to one other beforehand that's at the very end, towards the end of the book. And it's Psalms 139. I love this chapter. It's beautiful. But it's kind of all over the place. It's kind of all over the place. I want to tell you why. Um, I told you earlier that some of the songs are kind of harsh. Some of the songs that are written are like complaining, like no one cares about me, or God, where are you? Hello, you know. Or some of them are almost complaining about people, like I hope they... They suffer, or God, smite them, you know. Uh, smite them, almighty smiter, you know, whatever that looks like. So when you read some of these psalms, they're, they're that way. In fact, um, there are like 21 songs that have at least a couple verses where David kind of gets into this whole, you know, fix those people type moment, you know. And then there are two really intense ones. If you want to read them later, I, I think they're, I go off memory, I think they're Psalms 69 and 109. But I could be wrong about that. I'm pretty sure that's right. They are just like, whoo, guns a-blazing, right? Um, just read those when you're angry. Like, yeah, that's how I feel too. Um, and so you don't see them in all the songs, but you see them in certain spots. And you say, well, why would there be songs in the songbook of David like that? I'm going to tell you why in a few minutes here. But I want you to see a couple verses in Psalms 139 towards the end where David gets into that tone. Now, to be honest, this, what I'm going to read for you is pretty mild. Because he's basically saying, God, those who don't like you, I don't like them either. Get them, you know. But other chapters that we're not going to read, he's like, they picked on me, and I hope they get what's coming to them. So we're not going to read all of these. But in the end of Psalms 139, David vents a little bit in verse 19. He says, oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your, your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. And again, David's kind of venting at people he thinks are bad. And he's doing what we all do. Let's be, we all do this, whether it's our beliefs, our politics, our lifestyles, whatever we think is important in the world. People we don't like or agree with, they've hurt us personally, or we just don't like how they are or how they live. It's easy to justify our disdain and say, well, they're wrong with God, so therefore I have a right to be upset with them because they're wrong with God, so they're my enemies too. And David's doing that. He's justifying. Shouldn't I hate them, Lord? But then even when you read that, you might be confused, and you might be confused by saying, I read Jesus' words. Like 1,000 years after that, Jesus walked the earth, and he said something kind of different. He said, love your enemies, be good to them, pray for them. And it's like, well, I think David's way better, you know, just like bomb them, you know. That sounds good to me. Um, and so what's the tone? But David, as he says these things, which we all can relate to that emotion, he even puts himself in check. Before the chapter's over, he pivots and realizes that sometimes we think the problem is somebody else, but maybe the problem is me. Maybe I feel justified in my 
disdain for others, but maybe there's something in me that needs to be addressed. So David pivots to himself in verse 23. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, all the things that get me worked up at people and troubled and bothered and frustrated. Know my thoughts, test me, know my heart. Then he says, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. God, if, if this is a me problem, I need to see it because I don't want to be wrong and feel I'm right because it's easy to feel I'm right and others are wrong and maybe it's me. So God, work on me. I love that. But the majority of chapter 139 is a song to God and most of it's pretty positive. Prior to that part where he has to vent and then kind of say, God, work on me. He, he just talks about how faithful God is. And, and Psalms 139 is kind of like the song we saw earlier in Psalms 8, where David says, when I look at all of your creation, when I look at all of your creation and I see your marvelous handiwork, I think you're so powerful and yet you're so personal. I don't know if you've ever done this before. I do this often, to take a walk outside at night to pray and look at the sky on a clear night and look at all the stars and think about the galaxies and the universe that we haven't even been able to explore still with our most powerful telescopes and our best science. We're still figuring out how vast this whole thing is. And as we, as we work and, and, and grow, I go out there and I say, God, when I see everything, you're so powerful and yet you care about me. It's so personal. Like how can you be so powerful and yet so personal? Like we all know people in our lives, right, who are personal to us, people that we can confide in and, and talk about our problems, and those people support us and listen to us because it's personal, but they have no power to fix our problems. And we also have people that we may know of in the world that if they could get involved in our situation, they have the power to fix most of our problems. But it's not personal. They don't know us. And David says, God, you are the most powerful, and yet you're the most personal. You know, you've done everything, and yet somehow you know who I am and what I'm about. And he writes about it in this beautiful psalm that everyone should embrace, Psalms 139. Let's read through part of it together. Verse 1, he says, O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. It may be easy to look at that and say, hmm, how does he go before me and behind me? How could he be from the very beginning and all the way till forever? I mean, how could he be outside of the bounds of time? My head can't handle these thoughts about God. Don't feel alone. That's what David says next. He says in verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. It's like my mind is blown, you know. He says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. To, the, to you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. And David is saying right here, look, I'm not, he's not saying I'm trying to get away from God. He's saying if I tried, I couldn't. 
which means that if I ever think I've wandered to a spot where God doesn't know how to reach me or I've lost my way and God has lost me, he hasn't. Good news, God knows where I'm at all the time and he's there. And then David pivots back to when he was born or before he was born in verse 13. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. He wasn't bragging on how good looking he was. Like, your workmanship, trust me, I'm the best. You make the amazing work right here. You know, he wasn't doing that. He wasn't, he wasn't saying, I'm the best ever. What he was saying is, look, um, when I look at my body, forget the universe and the galaxies that blow my mind. When I look at me and my, my complex body, it's a masterpiece that you can make humans function the way we do. He continues. Verse 15, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. In other words, before they, they didn't have ultrasounds back then or all that stuff that we can see inside mama's belly before the baby's born. But even now we can only go so early. And before anyone can see anything, the baby's being formed. And he, David says, you did that. You put me together and put my soul in place before anyone laid eyes on me. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Amazing thought. Then he pivots back to the present. Verse 17, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. This is a chapter everyone should read because it, it ought to remind you when you feel alone or uncertain or don't know if anyone cares or if God's there. This psalm is a reminder that God is so present in your story. He is so powerful as to do all of it and yet so personal as to care for you. So take that to heart and let that psalm be precious to you. Now, the Psalms cover a lot of emotions. If you read all of them, we didn't read that, some of the more inflammatory ones today. If you read all of them, they, some are easy to see. Some are easy to see why you would sing that to God or write that to God or pray that to God, but others not so much. But they give us a blueprint, um, both how we can talk about God or about faith to others, because some of them are about God to others. And some of the songs are to God, so they, those ones show us how to pray. And I know that's a big deal because some of us struggle with prayer. I get around sometimes and I hear people will say, Arlen, I just struggle in my prayer life because I just feel like I don't pray as good as the people I hear pray at church. But God is not looking for you to sound a certain way or like a certain person, right? God wants to hear from you. You know what God wants from you and me? He wants authenticity. He wants the real you, wants real relationship. People will say, yeah, but Arlen, if I were to talk to God about what I'm feeling, I'm feeling upset, I might vent to him. Read the Psalms, so does David. And when you read all the different things that are said to God, it tells us something about prayer and it tells us something about God that we all should know and that is this, that God is okay with you bringing anything to him. That God is okay with you bringing anything to him because you're bringing it to him. 
And if you're a, if you're a parent, if you, ever, if you had a good mom or a good dad, and I know that's always a sensitive thing to so many of us, you didn't have a, a good home situation to refer back to, but if you know what a good mom or dad would have looked like, or if you're trying to be a good mom or a good dad, I understand, understand what we mean by this. That when our children come to us, what we, we want to do or should want to do is to say, bring anything to me. Going through a tough time, let's talk about it. You got some frustrations, let's hear. You got some pushback, let's, let's talk it out. You got, you're happy? I want to hear about your happiness. Let's celebrate together. I might see what's going on, but I want you to want to tell me about it. I'd love to hear. And, and that's what David is, is seeing in the songs, and that's what God is showing us. That God says, bring it to me. Bring the good and the bad and the ugly because I welcome it. Going through a bad time? Tell me about it. Need to cry on someone's shoulders? Cry on mine. You want to vent? Vent to me. I got big shoulders. And by the way, you say some things you shouldn't say. We'll, we'll figure that out once you calm down. We'll make that right. It's okay. Um, you um, you want to talk about your good times? You want to celebrate? Come and celebrate with me. You want to ask for something? Ask me. God says, here's the thing. Come to me. God is okay with you bringing anything to him because you're bringing it to him. He wants you. He wants you to be with him, near him, close to him, and he invites you to himself. And that's the thing I hope the Psalms can encourage you. When you read through them and you're like, wow, that's kind of real right there. Woo. God said, yeah, that's how I roll. I'm real. Just come talk to me. Let's have a relationship. Let's be authentic. Now, as I get ready to wind this down, I think that I want to give you a little prayer hack. And then I'm going to give you a Thanksgiving weekend assignment. Prayer hack. If you want to get better at praying and feel like you've made more progress, this will help you, I think, a little bit do that. Um, when you read the songs where David comes and vents to God, even in those chapters, he tends, he tends to also give a little thanks in there. He might be venting to God for a whole lot of verses, but somewhere in the, in the beginning or end of that song, he also says, God, I know you got this, or God, you're still good, or whatever. He still praises God or thanks God for something specific. Is that prayer and praise combination. It's taught throughout the Bible. In the New Testament, Philippians 4, Paul talks about this in the Christian scriptures. I mean, it's all over the place. But here's the thing I want you to understand, and that is that David often taught a principle, and the Bible teaches a principle, of beginning and ending with gratitude. And so I want to talk about that for a minute, but let me read you one last short psalm that acknowledges this. This is another song about God to each other. Psalms 100 verse 1 says this. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter. Here's the key verse. Ready? Here it is. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And what David is saying is, as a man who was a king who understood approaching a sovereign, David says God is the king of kings, the king of all creation. When we come to him, it's like we're coming to his very throne, his very presence. Yes, he's personal, but he is powerful. And so when you enter God's presence, enter those gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Like let that be the first step in. And that's a great little hack to help your prayer life have more wholesomeness because it gives us perspective. And let me just give you a personal illustration real quick. So I've learned this through the years of, especially as being a pastor. So 25 years of doing this and in the early days, our church was a different style of church and a fundamentalist type church. And when we were, sometimes we had challenging 
It's a challenging environment with challenging people, and it's a whole different story. But anyhow, um, sometimes I get so frustrated with people issues and frustrations that I need to go pray and vent to God because I was really, I need, I need to pray. I need to pray, you know. So, so I, would, I lived in Lowell. My kids could tell you, I would, I would take a walk around our long block, <laughs> maybe two walk, you know, laps around our block, and I would go pray. And sometimes when I go to pray when I'm frustrated, I would just, my, the problem that was in front of me that was frustrating me would be so big, it's all I could see. And I'd want to start praying and saying, God, here's my problem. But I remembered this teaching about entering his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So I would make myself stop and say, okay, put that aside. That's all I can see. But let me begin by giving thanks. And so I step back and say, God, what am I thankful for? I'm thankful for salvation. I'm thankful for life. I'm thankful for, I can, I can come in prayer when I have problems. And I start thinking about the, the macro and the more specific things I'm thankful for. And I would just start listing them off for a while and just praising God. And before I was done, every single time I ever did that, it's amazing how it worked. It's not like the problems were magically fixed, because here's the thing, they weren't. But, but in, before I would give thanks, they were all I can see, and they were consuming my soul. But when I would stop and give thanks first, it would cause me to step back and see the big picture. And all of a sudden, I could be like, it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's not good. We've got to deal with this thing. But God's been faithful. All my life, you have been faithful. As Jessica's saying, all my life, you have been so, so good. And I can remember that in this moment. And as I come back to, to talk about the problems, I'm coming at the problems in a holistic frame of mind now. I'm coming back in a healthy perspective. So I don't know if coming into God's presence with thanksgiving and praise first is good for him, for his heart. I think it probably is. It's definitely good for mine. And it's definitely good for yours to start by getting our perspective freshened up when we bring our problems and our frustrations. Thanks, giving thanks and giving praise are different things. Thanking is thanking God for what he's done. Praising is praising God for who he is. Our small group on Wednesday nights, we talked about this uh, this week, didn't we? Um, it's like if I were to say about Michelle, I'm thankful for Michelle for what you've done today or this week for me or throughout our years together. Or praising would be praising her for who she is. You're beautiful, you're wonderful, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. So thanking God is thanking God for what you've done. Praising God for who he is. Those are different things. And when we begin our prayers, even our venting prayers, even our frustration or complaints, we begin with thanksgiving and praise. It won't solve the problems, but it will give us such a better healthy mental well-being and frame of mind. It will make us find a path through the fog and give us light in our darkness. That's just a little help for somebody today, I, I hope. Now, here's your assignment. Your assignment, should you choose to accept it, we're entering Thanksgiving. You may not be a songwriter, but you can write down some things that you're thankful for. So in everyone's seat, there should be, a, or near you, there should be a gratitude card. Do you see them? A gratitude card. Why don't you grab that real quick? I'm going to talk about this. This is something I'm going to tell you what to do, but let me tell you a little testimony. This is something that my, my, my fa our family has done throughout the years. My children are here today. They can testify to this, okay? We have not done this every year. My kids can tell you that too. We've not done this every year. But many years of our family's life, we've done something like this on Thanksgiving. And so let me tell you what we've done in the past, many times, not all the time, and what we're going to encourage you to do this year. 
we would tell the kids to take a few minutes to go to their room. Maybe you'd have a card like this or maybe just a piece of paper or a three-by-five card and, and to write down three things they're thankful for, perhaps the day before Thanksgiving or the morning of Thanksgiving. Write down three things you're thankful for. Maybe those things are macro big ideas that never change, like salvation and you know, life and freedom or you know, you know, something that's, that's long-term. Or maybe those things are specific to that particular time. This year I'm thankful for this, or this season I'm thankful for that. Whether they're macro or micro things, it does not matter. Just pick three things you're thankful for this Thanksgiving. I tell the family, let's write these three things down on our own, and then thank God for them. And then when we come together for dinner, after the, sometime that evening around the table, or maybe around the couch, we would read the list. Each person would read their three things and what they wrote and why. And then we would share that together, and we do that at our house for birthdays, too. We take the time for whoever's birthday it is to go around and, and appreciate what we love about that person. So on Thanksgiving, we've tried many times to say, God, here's things we're thankful for this year. We'd share those out loud, and then we would pray and thank God together for his blessings. Now, Thanksgiving is a national day of Thanksgiving. It's a national holiday. The idea is to be thankful for our national blessings, and I am. I'm thankful for where I live and when I live. It's a blessing but, but we should be thankful every day for all of God's goodness, not just once a year. But Thanksgiving is a chance to up our game a little bit and focus on it. And so I love this holiday. Devin, you said before it's your favorite holiday, I believe, didn't you? And that's probably why, because we can focus on something that's an everyday thing, but we can give thanks. So three things you're thankful for. You can do this at home as a family, but I want you to do it with me before we go home today. So I'm gonna encourage you. If you're at home online, I can't give this to you through the phone um, sorry, I can try, but, um, but find a piece of paper or a pen or something at your house and do this with us. During our quiet time today for two minutes, we usually take two minutes to pray or be quiet. Would you take a pen, if you're in the front or behind you, get a pen and, and write down three things you're thankful for during prayer. And if you get done before we're finished, just pray for a minute and thank God for the list. And then when we're done, we're gonna sing a song of gratitude to God. And as we sing that song of gratitude, we're gonna we're going to maybe you can hold it in your hands or hold it close to your heart or lift it in the air if you want. I don't care. We're going to thank God for his goodness. Now, if you're saying, well, Arlen, I don't want to use it because I want to use it for Thanksgiving, here's the good news. There's a whole bunch more on the back table on your way out. Use this now and grab a few more on your way out and give them to your family and do it this Thanksgiving. You say, well, Uncle Joe's coming over. Aunt, Aunt Bert, Bert's coming over. Grab a few extra and share, I don't know if it has an Aunt Bert or not, but you know, grab a few of those and share with the family. Say, hey, join us for this thing, okay? But, um, but use this right now with us today as we give thanks because we should always be grateful. And God wants a relationship with you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And here's the deal. Are you ready? Here's the deal. He wants you to bring it to him because he cares about you and him being in relationship. But for your sake and my sake, Enter that conversation with some thanksgiving and praise that will help you have a better heart and find a way forward through your frustrations. But no matter what you go through, God is there for you. That's the book of Psalms. That's the book of Psalms. I hope you either learned something about them or had a fresh way of looking at them. Greatest hits list today. Tell me later on which one I missed that you would have preferred to be in there. It's fine. But that's some of the great ones right there. Read them and take encouragement that God just wants authenticity with you.